Thanks for downloading this episode of Cork Talk with me, Tim Atkin. A weekly conversation with some of the most famous people in the world of wine. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Nomacork by Vinventions. Driven by a commitment to innovation, the new plant-based Nomacork Green Line offers significant improvements in wine closure performance. Thanks to a rigorous oxygen ingress rate, you can decide which cork is best for your wine, whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential. Pascal Chatelet has not one, but two wine-related PhDs. After a 17-year stint as an academic at Bordeaux University, he switched careers to become a consultant and take over the running of his family's right bank estates. Our fascinating chat covered his views on Britannomyces, cork taint, ripeness and picking dates, his favourite grape varieties, Merlot, Tempranillo and Terrigue Nationale, and his enduring love of antiques. Hello, Pascal. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm very, very well, and it's lovely to hear your voice. I think you're in Bordeaux for once, aren't you? Yes, this week I am in Bordeaux uh, after a couple of weeks of uh, travel in Europe, and uh, we have a busy week with the revision of our 23 in uh, in Bordeaux uh, to to fill our you know, our barrels, and so we have to rack out uh, the 22 uh, to prepare the space. So busy week. And how's 23 looking as a vintage? 23 2023 vintage. But it's looking, uh, as you know, in Bordeaux, we are making a uh, vintage of the century every every year. So it looks uh, as a new one. Uh, but honestly, <laughs> um, it's uh, it's interesting. We have been very surprised by the by the by this vintage. It's not a classic one from far away. But since a couple of years, we have no more classic vintage. I think. Uh, so the big difference is that we we were fronting uh, very bizarre. Uh, Weather conditions from the spring to the, to the last day of the harvest, you know, with the, uh, we start with uh, some frost in some places. Uh, then we got a very wet uh, spring with a lot of uh, downy mildew as a consequence of this uh, climate and a lot of damage in some place. Some of them are not so much, very di- different from one variety to another one. Merlot, very sensitive, Cabernet, much resistant. Uh, then we got, uh, finally <laughs> a summer, quite decent, but, uh, nothing special. Then very hot, uh, very, very hot with, uh, two heat waves, uh, in August, uh, quite, uh, quite serious. So it helps to the, the, the grapes to, to ripe. Uh, finally, it was a bit disturbing at the start of the harvest with a, a couple of rains, but very positive at the end. So we were a bit afraid, but finally very positive because uh, the, the vine started. So, so it could be, could be okay. Yeah. Yeah. But very different from one place to another one. So that's not something very homogeneous. That's the characteristic of the vintage. And I am not talking yeah. only about Bordeaux. Yeah. Not just maybe, in wine, but... Maybe before, but uh, we have trace of the family in Saint-Emilion, uh, yes, for the 16th, 16th centuries. Uh, then the, the Saint-Emilion um, city burned, so we, we lost uh, a lot of trace, uh, mm. rotten trace of the, of the family. But, but yes, we were, we were quite uh, old, ancient on my father's side uh, from Saint-Emilion city. So, um, and we, were they winemakers back then? Hello, on, Originally, not really. They were, they were, uh, they had three main activities. First of all, they were coopers. Mm-hmm. 
they were as well um, using stone from the city to build houses. As you say, stone, stone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then uh, they were uh, perceiving the tax, which is not very uh, exciting. <laughs> and your and your both your father and your grandfather owned oh, chateaus, didn't they? So yeah. yeah. But because they were involved in the exploitation of these stones in the city of Saint Emilion, uh, they bought a small estate uh, in a place which is uh, today a, a bit famous. Uh, it's a place named uh, with chateaus on and. Um, yeah. This place was not originally uh, for vineyard. Uh, mm. It was used to uh, to produce stones, but when they finished to uh, produce stones, they developed a vineyard, and which is actually yes, because you know we have uh, we are from a family uh, involved in the in the vine industry, mostly than the the wine, but. It's linked, obviously. My uh, my grandfather was um, managing a nursery in in, in Bordeaux in Saint Emilion, uh, and my mother and my father developed uh, a business in the in the vine area. You know, to pro- to provide to the vine growers all the stuff need- necessary to produce uh, to plant vines, to manage vineyard, and to produce grapes. Uh, but they were not. And now you, go on. You, they were not what? Even even they even on my father's side, they were uh, historically uh, involved mm. in the um, in the vine and wine industry. The, mm. My father and my mother were not owning vineyards, you know. And so my father, um, as for hobby, uh, for Saturday and Sunday time, bought a small vineyard in the sixties, late sixties. And they uh, have developed what is uh, Vigneux Chateaunay today. Mm-hmm. And today you have what four chateau in in Vigneux Chateaunay, which is your your group. Yeah, they they bought in 1967 a small estate uh, with uh, a bit less than uh, 10 hectares in a very bad uh, bad shape. A very old estate. Huh? We have traced uh, trace of uh, production of wine in this area on the right bank of Bordeaux since the early 60th century. So it's very old, uh, but it was in very bad shape. And uh, step by step, uh, he, repl- he has replanted all the vineyard. He has uh, built a new winery in the early 90s. And uh, today, uh, this family estate is managed by myself. So you were always going to go into wine, really, from a young age, yeah? Yeah, and uh, every Sunday we we had lunch with my grandfather, and it was time to drink uh, wine. And, and the the kids were allowed uh, at this moment of the of the week uh, during the Sunday lunch time with uh, with uh, with the chicken on the on the table uh, to drink. Um, some fingers of uh, red wine with water, and then step by step the water disappear. As an academic, I mean, you did two PhDs. I think not just one, but two. So I should call you Doctor Doctor. Uh, but what were your main areas of research when you were? Well, a, in an fact, academic? you know, it's, it was an accident. 
definitely it was an accident because I was not uh, ready for this kind of uh, of study at the university. I was supposed to do the the diploma of uh, enology. Of, uh, it's a two years. Uh, study and finally I spent 20 years in the, in the university so it's definitely by accident um, I was doing uh, f- fortunately we can say that today my military service you know, at this time the military service was still uh, existing and it was uh, mandatory and uh, finally I, I, I got the uh, the luck uh, to be um, able to work in a laboratory of in the university area to check uh, all the the foods and the wine bought by the army. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I was not so, so much involved in military stuff at this time. And during this time, during this year, uh, my old professors uh, invite me to spend some time in their lab because they, they had problems with some students doing their studies and Fortunately, my uh, my commandments uh, agree with that, so I was very happy, and I spent some time, some hours in the lab to help my old professors. And step by step, I was successful at, at this time, and uh, they invite me to stay and to do a thesis. And step by step, I spent effecti- uh, close to twenty years in the in the in these labs, and I got two PhDs. Uh, so uh, my main area originally was, uh, you know, all, everything concerned with the, around the hawk, the mm-hmm. hawk tree and the how to make barrels and how to age wine in barrels. So that was in the late, uh, late 80s, early, early 90s, which, you know, at this time, the barrel was a, was a new fashion. Uh, mm-hmm. And so... Um, there was not so much uh, knowledge about how to um, to make good barrels for wine. Right? Um, to make barrel, it's very very old uh, history. But to make qualitative barrel to age precisely wine was not so well known. So I have been contracted by a by a cooperage named Segin Moreau, and they they pay for my for my thesis to the university. Uh, so it was three first years, and uh, I have been quite successful, as you say, uh, for the first thesis. So they invite me to stay, and I have made the research and the development for this company during uh, a couple of, of years at the Institute of Enology of Bordeaux, the famous one. Voilà. And what was the second PhD? Uh, it was a continuation, but uh, okay. because I was at this time in the second PhD, I, uh, I have been uh, very lucky to work with Denis Dubordieu, and uh, with Denis, I got the uh, opportunity to open much more my uh, my vision about uh, enology. So we were st- always staying in the area of wine aging, but not only red wine, not only aging in barrel. Uh, so uh, I made research in uh, microbiology. Bretanomyces uh, has been one of our... Uh, very serious uh, research development uh, in this area in the in the late 90s uh, we made uh, because in the same time i, I have developed uh, seriously the capacity of the research lab with new technologies so we develop a lot of new technologies to study aromas positive and negative 
um, I have been mostly focused on the negative area. Uh, this was Excel, was it? This is your company Excel that you created yeah, in 1992. So then I developed Excel in uh, 92, but I was still yeah. a student at this time because my I, I, I made my first PhD in 1991 and the second one in 95. So in, in between the two ones, I developed uh, Excel Labs uh, but outside the, the university area. And so uh, this time, the originality of Excel is what I, I use technology for research, develop for research, to for the industry. Uh, uh, so mm-hmm. we, it was one of the first two labs in, in the world using uh, high technology design in res- research lab for the routine analysis uh, uh, to make wine, uh, absolutely, and corks. Because you're famous, really, for, for discovering it or identifying it in wine, which is known as Brett, yeah, which was often described before that as, as being a good terroir, you know, the, the taste of a place of terroir. What is it and how does it develop? Just briefly, tell us about Brett and how you can stop no, it. I, I, haven't, I haven't discovered Brett. Uh, mm. Honestly, Brett is, has been, uh, is well known in the, in the beer industry since a very long time. Uh, it has been uh, considered a bit more lately in the wine industry as, as a, as a yeast, uh, able to produce, uh, uh, some disorders in, in the refermentation of wine, giving a special taste. Uh, but at this time, I, I am talking about, uh, late sixties. It was not clearly identified. Everybody was talking about special taste of flavor, mousy taint, uh, but not really what the bread is able to produce. And bread anomyces in the red wine is able to produce volatile phenols. Uh, mm-hmm. We have two, two kind of, uh, four, three, but two main ones, 4-etyl phenols, 4-etyl which are very, very, very common in most of the red wine still today, but much more uh, 30 years ago or 40 years ago now. And um, so I identify, I made the link in between bread anomycesis and what we call today uh, the bread character, what I, I name at this time uh, phenolic taste, phenolic of flavor, mm. because it's come mm. from volatile phenols. And so today it's a, a common uh, word to design this particular taste is bread, bread character. Mm. Right? Mm. So uh, it's not really mousy because mousy, plenty of other microorganisms are able to produce mousy taste. When was the, the lithar taste, the stable taste, mm. uh, the urine of a horse is absolutely yeah. typical and, <laughs> and, 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 and unique for Brettanomyces. So yeah. that is my contribution to this uh, discovery. And, and you also did a lot of work on cork, didn't you, on TCA, cork taint, yeah? Do you think it's, it's still a big problem in wine, do you think? But at this time, it was a very big problem. And now? Uh, and now, much less. And, mm. and I can say you that it, well, I have to be a bit more humble, but, uh, I think we can recognize that uh, we make a, a very, a very strong contribution to the, the change in the cork industry. I'm sure that if you ask the same question to the cork makers, they, they will tell you honestly the same things for two reasons. First of all, um, we are in the, I didn't made, made any discovery in the area of what is the cork taint. Uh, it's a trichloroanisole, TCA, which has been uh, discovered by uh, Swiss researchers in the early 80s. 
but it was quite difficult to analyze, to quantify in the in the in the wine at this time because there was no easy technology to make this uh, analysis in the wine and in the cork. So my contribution at this time says we have developed precise uh, methodology to analyze the TCA contained in the wine, the TCA contained in the cork, and to make a relation in between them. Uh, we so we were able to to say when a wine was contaminated, if it was really the cork, and what kind of contaminant. That is the first mm. step. No more debate because only by mm. tasting, honestly, you cannot say. Mm. The second point, which has been very important, that more or less similar in the same time, uh, we discover that uh, some wines still in the wineries during their aging process in barrel or in tank were able to uh, to have a, 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 TCA, a TCA taste, a corky taste, mm. without mm. any contact with the cork because they were still in tank or in barrel, you know? So uh, I made a serious contribution at this time. I am talking, though, so in the 1995 to 2005, uh, to identify a source of contamination, not from the cork, but for the cellar environment, for, from the winery environment, with pesticide used to treat mostly the, the wood structure of the of the roof, or the wood pallets used to uh, to to store the bottles, and they were uh, they have been uh, treated years ago, maybe 10, 20 years before, uh, with a pesticide uh, containing um, chlorophenols, and these chlorophenols with time. With the humidity of the cellars, yeah. with the low ventilation of these uh, buildings, were able to be transformed by 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 fungi mm. into into uh, the wine into yeah. chloranisol, and then yeah. through the atmosphere. Uh, so I am not talking about a direct contact, but through the atmosphere, they have been able to contaminate the wine, the wine, barrel yeah. or in tank. So it was very difficult for the for the owners of the of this estate to understand how it was possible to contaminate wine in, in the bar through roof mm. treated roof yeah. uh, they didn't know it was uh, it was uh, treated uh, and sometime with um, a big distance in, in, in and you in, found that as well right so yeah. I found that I found yeah. the, the way to analyze and I, I found the way to fix the problem so uh, and it has been uh, a big development for Excel Lab at this time. A lot of stuff you were doing was on faults. I want to ask you a little bit more about quality, really, because a lot of your, your life is because not with faults, but with making great wines, right? Do, what do you think are the three, just briefly, what's important to quality? How do you determine and, and how do you affect quality? What are the factors that affect quality in wine? Well, first of all, the first quality... From my from my opinion, is the absence of taint of fault flavor. Yeah. But that is basic. Yeah. That is not make something yeah. good or excellent. That is the the very basic level. No off flavor, no taint. Okay, mm. clean wine we can say, but it's not because it's clean that it's good. What is made a, a wine good, uh, very good or great? Uh, it's a bit more complicated because uh, we have to understand. Um, to define the, this uh, characteristic much more deeply in the in the characteristic of the place, the characteristic 
of uh, the varieties which are used to to make this wine. It's what I I, I name the the the, the identity, the the essence, the aut- authenticity. What is what is responsible for the authenticity of this uh, of this wine? Mm. If you don't understand that, okay, sometimes you can success, some, sometimes no. Right? Uh, and if the place you are trying to do a great wine is not able because some parameters are not right, the climate, the soils, the variety. Uh, if the equation is not perfect, you can never produce a great wine. Uh, you can produce decent wine, good wines, but never great. A great mm-hmm. wine, that is a perfect uh, combination between the climate, the soil, the man. Mm. And if you are lucky, sometimes you are doing great wine. So uh, it's not mostly technology. It's not mostly um secret that is of if there is one secret is to underst- understand how these three kind of elements are linked and how to be to to be able practically day after day to to join them to produce year after years vintage after vintage yeah. a great wine a good quality wine Tell, tell me a little bit about picking dates, because I know that you, you the styles of wine you like tend to be slightly more elegant. In the beginning of your career, you worked a lot with Michel Roland, who was, again, very famous at the time. And, and Michel is known for making later picked wines. I mean, possibly that's an unfair car- uh, caricature of him. But you, you were always a bit of an earlier picker, weren't you? How important is early picking to quality, do you think? Hello. I, I'm not early or late. Hmm. I, can t- I can maybe... Uh... I don't want to <laughs> to uh, to explain the, the position of Michel, but I I can I, I can do it anyway. You have to understand that Michel started to work in the seventies. The first vintage of Michel was seventy seven, I think, something like that. One of the worst in the history. <laughs> From seventy seven to uh, eighty two there was not really a good vintage. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when 82, and so, that is some, some, something important for him, appear, he understands something. <laughs> that when you can pick grapes ripe, you are doing much better wine when it is not mm-hmm. ripe. Mm-hmm. So then after the years 90s, appear, the American influence develop, some famous critic in the same time, and we we had maybe some exaggeration, that, mm-hmm. meaning that uh, one of the conclusions at this time, when, when, the, when the grape is, uh, is ripe, uh, wait one more week. Mm-hmm. And yeah. definitely today, it's not it's not possible to say that. Maybe before it was not as well a very good idea. But, but now we're living we're living with climate change, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you and you mm. cannot have the same conclusion in Napa, in Bordeaux, mm. or in uh, Ribera. Yeah, because such the different impact places. of the climate is definitely uh, yeah. very very different. So my philosophy is to try to identify the the right moment, which is honestly the most complicated part of the job I think huh? mm. uh, and we honestly I, 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 I as a winemaker or as a flying winemaker I'm quite busy at this time to uh, to decide what is the best moment and you never know honestly you never mm. know what, mm. if it is 
perfect or not. You know what it is not ripe. More or less, mm. it's easy. But you never know when it is perfectly ripe. You know when mm. it is overripe, but it's too late. So, <laughs> <laughs> Tell me something. I mean, tell us a bit more about your consultancy work because you, how many clients do you have and in which countries? And I wonder just how, how do you choose them? Well, today in 2023, you know, uh, I have reduced quite a lot, but... Uh, um, since 90, I started in 95 as a, as a mm. as consultant with one client in Portugal, only one. Okay. Uh, and then step by step, I, I developed this, uh, this activity. Then in 97, mm. I think, uh, Michel Roland called me. He was looking for a partner. Um, at this time, we had uh, also a project to, you know, to make a fusion between the his lab and uh, ours. We made a uh, lab in Argentina, in in, in Chile, uh, uh, and until 2010, we we did work all together. But finally, we we never joined. Um, so um, from '95 to uh, 2020, uh, 2017, sorry, uh, I have spent most, most of my time, I think maybe 50, 55% of my time doing, um, consultancy and, and traveling, uh, traveling a lot. Um, then I decide to reduce. And so actually, um, maybe I work with, uh, 28, I think, uh, different, uh, winery. I, I haven't the, the right, the real number, honestly, but it's something like that. Um, I have reduced, I, I don't work anymore in, uh, in long, very long distance, uh, like, uh, South America, because before I, we, I was working quite a lot in South America, in New Zealand and, uh, in North America as well. So uh, today, um, I use my time mostly, um, in Europe or not so far away from, uh, from Europe, uh, to be able to manage uh, the family estate because, uh, uh, I'm not more involved in the lab industry today. Um, but I am more involved in the management of the family because my, okay. my parents pass away. And so mm. I have to manage for the family, the, the estate. So it's. And would you be 50 50 between consultancy and, and own work? Own oh, actually, less. Actually, it's one third. Actually, one, one third. third is your own wine. Yeah, yeah. But until 2000, until last year, it was 50%. Yeah. yeah correct. Yeah. I just want to tell us a little bit about what makes a good consultant, because I read a very quote, interesting quote by you. You said that the role of the consultant is to learn. And I'd always thought the role of the consultant was to teach, that you're going there to learn in a sense. So so how much of what you do is is listening? That's an interesting question. Uh, yes, you have different categories of, uh, of consultants and you have different clients categories as well, you know. Mm. Uh, you have clients calling, calling for you to... Uh, uh, to manage and eventually to teach uh, a team, a local team. Um, and you have another category of uh, client, which is just looking for opinions. Yeah? Give me your opinions. I will do what I want. And you have a last category of client, which is uh, maybe something in between. Huh? And uh, my philosophy is... Uh, I'm more a teacher. That is maybe uh, my past at the university, doing research, but also uh, working with young students and teaching. So my my philosophy is I I, I like I love to uh, develop and to improve teams. 
local teams. Mm. Because, you know, a consultant, some famous consultant are uh, giving signature on labor, but when you, you count the number of days of or hours they uh, they really spent in the winery is not so much. Mm. So I think mm. okay, I am happy to to say that I I, I collaborate with a, a couple of wineries and some of them quite famous. But I can say I am the winemaker. I am a consultant and I am manage a team. I I teach a team, and to teach a team and to understand really. Uh, the essence of the place, the soul of, of the place, you have to understand where you are. And so it's why, first of all, before to teach, before to say, do this or think about that, you have to learn what you are talking about. So, so uh, listen, yeah? Listen, listen first, then look, teach. Look, yeah? listen, taste, taste what has been made before and mm. understand one, one more time, what is the essence of the place? What is the place is is talking about you, huh? um, and if there is no history, okay, that is open. You can do what you want, but uh, when this place has a long history before you, this place will have also a very long history after you. <laughs> yeah. I imagine, yeah, definitely, yeah. if it is a good place. So you have to respect yeah. that. You have to understand that, and you have to prepare this place to the next step. Huh? Voilà. So. My first, uh, my first action in a winery is to do nothing and to, and to look, learn, discuss, mm. exchange, yeah. understand. When I have made this first step, I say, okay, that is not good. That is interesting. And do that, you will see. Do, do, do you think there's a Chateauneuf style? Of course, if you are, if you, if you want to make wine, you, you have a part of you in there in a wine. Eh? For sure, uh, you know, remember the definition of terroir. Uh, that is a French, uh, is, uh, I know that in English, it's, it's no clear definition of that, clear translation of that. But terroir is a combination of soil, climate, uh, and, and man, uh, mm. the work of the man. So the, the variety is, is linked with the man. The, the, the climate is not linked with the man, but is dependent of the man. So he, he has to adapt. It's, it works in the, the, with a combination of soil climate and every vintage it, 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 it changes. So the man is fundamental to, um, design a wine. So for sure you have style. What is my contribution to, to the wine is maybe, yes, inspiring a style, but respecting the characteristic of the place. So okay. that is true that some consultants are much more impacting the style. Mm. And I mm. don't want to be this one. I okay. prefer to be the consultant whispering to the, to the ear of the owner saying, think about that, try to do that and avoid that. That is my style. That is my style. And that may be why you're so successful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, tell me, I read somewhere your favourite grape is Merlot and your <laughs> second favourite is Tempranillo. Is that true? Are those your two favourite grapes? <laughs> we were talking about Michel Roland before. I say, Michel, Michel Roland say, I, I was born under a plant of Merlot. <laughs> <laughs> so we, 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 we were, we are no more, but we were neighbour in the vineyard because yeah. it sold this estate and I am still managing our, our estate, but we are, you know, on the right bank of Bordeaux, Pomerol, and the Pomerol, Saint-Emilio, we are, we are full of Merlot. So I am, I am obviously a big fan of, of Merlot. And, and the other variety we are, we are growing in the place. So Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, obviously. Then Tempranillo, 
has been uh, for me yes a big uh, a big discovery when I start to work in uh, in Spain in different uh, areas you know because Tempranillo you know that perfectly uh, teams mm. that from the north to the to the of Spain to the south of Portugal even we are talking about the Tempranillo using different names this variety has is changing its own profile very surprisingly. So it's, uh, I, I, I have been uh, very surprised by, by this variety and its ability to produce very different category of a style of wine, even its uh, Tempranillo. And the last one uh, in the same area, uh, Historia Nacional. For me, it's one of the great variety of the world. Uh, I agree with you. Fantastic grape variety. Yeah. yeah? That's, and- is there anywhere else in the world you'd like to make wine that you haven't made wine? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, fortunately, <laughs> we have always something to discover, to experiment. Yeah, where would you like to go? Where, if, you, if I could say, pass you, yeah, let's know, go, I, go tomorrow. Uh, maybe, maybe, I don't know, for one, one is maybe Armenia for uh, historical reasons. You know, I, we, uh, I would be very, very... Um, interested to to develop uh, to make wine in this area with all, very old variety local varieties like Arrhenia Noir yeah yeah correct yeah. and uh, yeah. another one it's uh, the vineyard which are on the Adriatic Sea you know so it's uh, a bit linked with Armenia because it's that is I think the original uh, uh, road to uh, to spread the, the vines in the in, in the world in Europe first and so uh, I haven't yet uh, the opportunity mm. opportunity to do uh, wine in um, in Croatia, for example, uh, but yeah. I, I test a couple and, uh, okay, maybe one day. Mm. I mean, you, you're from Bordeaux and France makes most of the great, or many of the world's greatest wines, but do you think you could say now that you could make great wine anywhere in the world, almost? I mean, you travelled a lot. <laughs> anywhere, not maybe anywhere, but if you respect the, the, the limits of the of the wine of the vine vitis vinifera. If you respect the climatic uh, parameters of the, the a good good growing condition for the for the vine, yes, I think if you have the right soil, the right winemaker, you can do mm. for sure good wine everywhere and sometimes uh, great wines. Uh, yeah, I think today uh, it, it's possible. When you try to produce wine in tropical area, I say okay, good luck. You, you can make something drinkable, but cannot be great. Never. Exceptionally, can be good. When you try to produce, uh, uh, even it's a historical place, huh? um, you want to, to grow a vineyard with no water, very, very hot uh, climate. It doesn't work. Huh? And, and more and more, if you have to bring irrigation and, uh, and uh, technology uh, to manage this uh, situation, I think it's better to say, okay, no, that is not the right place or that is not anymore the right place it has been maybe before but today no yeah. so respect the limit of the of the the characteristic of the vines mm. yeah and which which places have the most potential for you do you think any countries or regions where you look at them and you think could they could be so much better or so much better everywhere we can do better things every everywhere um no i, I think Maybe I could say, I could answer in a different way, saying what are the places which were good in the past and more difficult today and definitely more difficult in the future? Yes, mm-hmm. i give you an example. Uh, I started to work in the uh, mid-90s in uh, Portugal, in the south of Portugal. Mm. 
I, and, or in Australia but at the same time in Australia. And I saw vineyard disappearing in this area because the climate was so hot, so extreme that uh, if you are, you were not able to bring all the time the right quantity of water, blah, 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 you were not able to produce something decent uh, and honest eh? because uh, the climate has been very interesting in, uh, at the moment and it, uh, it, it, has, it has changed and it's no more possible to do that. So um, that is an example. Other places which are uh, maybe not so well known uh, today and, and could be interesting in the future. So uh, we can see more and more good products from, uh, from Asia, uh, from, uh, from China, uh, from Tibet. Uh, I know some place in India could be interesting as well on the other side of the Himalaya uh, for the same reason. So for the climatic um, condition and the soil uh, characteristic as well. Uh, on, on India, it's not possible because it's a Muslim area, so they are not very uh, excited to produce uh, wine. Uh, mm-hmm. But in China, I, I'm sure you have seen some uh, big, big, big uh, improvement in the quality mm-hmm. of uh, wines coming from this particular area, which which is not a traditional place uh, to grow mm-hmm. uh, vines and to make wine. But so maybe in the future, we, we will have uh, more and more interesting wine from this category of place i'm interested in how you get away from wine do you like do you like to travel to non-wine regions or are your holidays always to wine regions no 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 definitely <laughs> I, i'm I, i'm not like uh, <laughs> i remember the gigal the gigal family and i, I was uh, talking with uh with with, uh, with his wife and uh, uh, she says we, we have spent all our life visiting vineyard wine shop i am exhausted by that. <laughs> So that's not you, right? No, it's not me. Not me. Uh, <laughs> when I am uh, taking holidays, I'm taking holidays. I'm. I, I don't uh, reject uh, vineyards, <laughs> but I am not looking vineyards all the time. No, I mean yeah. I enjoy the, the seaside. I enjoy the the mountains and uh, and and uh, area without uh, any any vice. But I drink anyway. I drink wine all the time. Yeah. And and you like literature, don't you? Like reading, and you like collecting antiques. I just wonder, what are you reading at the moment? What sort of things do you like reading? Uh, oh, I have the ability to read different uh, categories of book in the same time, or uh, not in the same time, but uh, day after day, I change. Uh, so actually, I live uh, Comte Sponville, which is a, a philosopher, a French philosopher, uh, which is doing interesting um, synthesis about uh, philosophy. And I think that uh, with the world uh, configuration today of today, uh, I'm happy to 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 read this uh, this uh, consideration to understand why, how the men are not so uh, are so crazy like that. Yeah. And what about antiques? What was the last thing you bought? What oh, things you buy? Clocks or pieces oh, of I furniture have, or what? That's true. That I have been a uh, more than, more than antiques art collector during a. Uh, a couple of years. That is true. Um, at this time, I had a, a big house with a lot of walls. And so I had to... Um, <laughs> and now you've got a small house with fewer walls. <laughs> to, to, to manage my walls. Actually, my, my house is much smaller. I, we sold the big one. And so I'm no more um, a big buyer. Uh, yes, but the last one, 
which is maybe two years ago now. It's not re- very, very recent. Uh, I bought a Polyakov, uh, a Serge Polyakov frame um, uh, for two reasons. Because I obviously um, I love this this painter, but I remember when I was a, a kid um, to 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 see for the first time um, a big frame of, of I was not a kid honestly I was an adolescent, um, and uh, for the first time I I, I discovered this uh, this painter and it it has been, it has impacted me quite uh, quite strongly and I remember and, and now I, you own one. I you, now surprise. you own one. I had a surprise at this time. Say, okay, no way. <laughs> and <laughs> so, finally, one day I got one. <laughs> fantastic. So wine has not only made you successful all around the world, but it's also given you enough money to buy something of beauty and art yeah, but to yeah, put on the wall. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> okay. and something we, we hope to to transmit to, to other people, uh, yeah. which are heart uh, uh, amateur. Uh, yeah. So maybe my daughter, my my, my daughter is a, as well a hard amateur, or not. But it's uh, it's something we for today and for tomorrow. Yeah. Pass it on. It's a little bit your idea about teaching. It's about listening, but it's also about teaching. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Thank you, Pascal. It's been fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and your passion and your wisdom. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. And I'll see you soon. Hope to see you one day in Bordeaux. I hope so soon. Bye. Well, what an impact Pascal has had on the world of wine. Even I didn't realise the extent of it. Next week on Cork Talk, my guest is Alessio Planeta of the Planeta Winery in Sicily. Join me then. Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles and tasting notes by me, go to my website, timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Tim Atkin, and on Instagram, at TimAtkinMW. See you next week. 